Progressive Rugby League. G'day, John Duncan. You know, I've always been interested in how people communicate, and particularly in a morbid kind of way, I guess, I've been fascinated by the consequences of bad communication. Friendships, relationships, jobs can end as a result of bad communication. Lordy, wars have started from misunderstandings. And so I've been intrigued by the idea of communications training. Like, in a way, it's kind of weird. Communication just happens, good or bad, it's the natural way of things, man, don't mess with it. Yet it also makes the world of sense. We're communicating continuously in every facet of our modern lives. It's virtually impossible to escape, so why not get better at it? And so, if you're a high-profile rugby league player who not only needs to communicate with partners, workmates, friends and family like the rest of us, but also with the media, sponsors and we the people, gee, it might be handy. So how do professional rugby league players prepare for the extracurricular communication requirements that come with the territory of their careers? What's involved in getting yourself ship-shaped for a 15-minute radio spot or a 10-minute Fox slot or a pre-game chat with Freddie or even some unwanted media attention, social or otherwise? And how has media and communication training evolved with time as social media has taken on oxygen-like status for the generations now entering the pro ranks? Well, let's chat to someone in the thick of this kind of action. Neve Owens is a director at Media Goals, a company that provides training to athletes to help them navigate the whole media and communication web. Neve is also a seasoned sports journalist and broadcaster herself, delivering high-quality content to our eyes and ears over many years for a multitude of networks, ABC, Optus, Fox, across a multitude of codes, your rugby codes, your crickets, you get the gist. A true all-rounder, your ideal media coach, and the perfect guest for today's episode. Neve Owens, welcome to the Progressive Rugby League Podcast. Hey, Jono. Thank you so much for having me on. Now, Neve, a critique on that introduction, please, ignoring the fact that I can't read. Did I emote appropriately? <laughs> Was I authentic? Will sponsors be clamoring to get a piece of Jono P. Duncan? Lovely voice, Jono. I really like the tone, the timbre of your voice. Yeah, I reckon you're you're all in, my friend. Oh. I was liking it. There was, you know, good tempo. Okay. It wasn't too monotone. I, I reckon you nailed it, mate. Oh, too kind. I was thinking I can do better. Um, I think that the best I can hope for maybe on that performance is maybe like a fungal cream sponsor or something, which is not a bad thing. I mean, uh, fungus is a part of everyday life. But anyway, Neve, thank you so much for joining the show. Uh, Media Goals has been up and running for a while now, and I know you've worked with some rugby league clubs throughout that period. When an NRL club gets in touch with Media Goals, what are they generally looking for? What's the brief? You know, the original approach, Jono, actually came from the game itself, I guess, as opposed to a club. And it happened a few years ago, and it was at a time when the NRL was changing from media guidelines, which it had had for a number of years, to media rules. Mm. And the media rules ultimately meant more access for broadcasters to more players more often. Mm. And it was led by this awesome guy, Jim Doyle. He's the well-known sports administrator. He was working behind the scenes with the NRL. 
And he recognised that if they were going to go and ask players to do more of this stuff, they should also provide them with training so that they feel more comfortable and more prepared in this space. So that was our original introduction to the NRL and it was a whole-of-game approach and that year we got to visit all 16 clubs more than once, got to know all the players really, really well and, and it was a terrific experience and hopefully it's because our approach in terms of media goals in this space is a little bit different to media training of the past and we're all about sharing more saying more having confidence in your own voice embracing difference and authenticity and that's kind of our shtick and hopefully that's what the NRL was after as well you know right across the game okay okay we'll get a bit more to that later that's very interesting stuff I want to interrogate that a bit further later on and I guess uh, one way of looking at things would be that I guess clubs in the NRL are looking to make their players good, solid company folk, you know, people who can come across well in an interview at a sponsor's event so that the clubs and the game is getting more from their investment in that playing group. And, you know, it makes sense just like any other training you get through work. But what do you see as the benefits of media and comms training for the players that go beyond handling a post-match interview or running a, a training clinic at a primary school? You know, Jono, I reckon you nailed it off the top in your introduction. It's a part of all of our lives every day in so many different ways. And so what we talk to the players about and and what we focus on is that being able to express yourself, you know, having confidence in your own voice, having an ability to articulate yourself, it helps in every single thing that you do. Mm. So during your footy years as a player, it might mean that you're better able to speak up in a team meeting or hold your ground when you need to, whether it's with a coach or another player or your manager maybe or Mm. your parents as if you're a young player and you're making some big decisions about your future. So there's all those kind of different ways that are separate but not less important than Mm. the more public-facing ones in terms of speaking to sponsors or corporates or fans Because ultimately, you know, a room full of blokes in suits can Mm. be an intimidating environment for anyone and it can certainly be an intimidating environment for a young footy player coming through. Yes, it's a good point. It's a funny one, isn't it? Communication is so fundamental to our lives in in every relationship we have. I honestly think one of the most challenging things we have to do on a daily basis is to communicate somewhat accurately to loved ones and colleagues and friends and family what's actually inside of us. It it really is one of the hardest things to do to actually put into words what you're really feeling, what's going on in that sort of maelstrom within you. Uh, But it's not something we put too much focus on on a daily basis. You, You think about the relationships in your life. There are people that we consider good communicators, some not so good, but not many people see it as a skill that they can actively improve. They just see it as being the way things are. So in many ways, this kind of training would be some of the most important a player receives in his or her lifetime without them even realising it, maybe. I love that you framed it there, Jono, as a skill because that's exactly what it is. Communicating is a skill and that is such an awesome thing because like any skill, we can get better at it through practice. Mm. So I think that kind of original thought or recognition that, that you've just acknowledged there is a great starting point if it's a skill awesome practice you know improves that skill yeah absolutely so Neve, let's get to some specifics if we can how do you approach improving 
the media and comms performance of a group of players? Are there are there certain go to activities, or does it kind of vary depending on the group? It varies depending on the group, and it varies depending on their experience, what a particular club wants to focus on, if there's specific things the players have coming up. Mm-hmm. And then it also varies depending on where the players themselves want to take a session. So I've got a plan going in there and I've got certain activities that I want to do with the guys and, and a direction that I want to take the session. Mm. But if there's another area that's really important to the players or past experience, and, and often past experiences come up, mm. And it heads off in another direction, but that actually helps them, you know, get to that end destination that we have in mind. Yeah. Then I reckon that's a super important thing as well to be able to embrace that and kind of go on that journey together and, and enjoy it. But maybe maybe the core of it is that the practical exercises, I reckon, are key. Mm-hmm. So we talk about the theory behind something. We talk about the neuroscience. We talk about why it matters. But then we do it. Mm-hmm. And that's something that can seem really straightforward when you're having that conversation around a table in a boardroom and everyone's feeling comfortable sitting there and having a bit of a yarn. It can be so much trickier once you're standing in front of a camera, the red light is on, the questions are coming thick and fast, and all of a sudden what seemed simple and what seemed clear in your mind can muddy a little. So we make the sessions super practical, heaps of exercises that help players build up their confidence in their own voice and hopefully head into those situations then in the future thinking that, you know, they've got this, Mm. they've experienced it before, it's not so alien and different and unusual. And then if they feel a bit more comfortable in that space, hopefully that then opens them up to sharing more of themselves and being a bit vulnerable and having some real conversations. Ah, Very interesting. Okay, so in terms of turning a a shy suburban kid who happens to be good at footy into a, a kind of a formidable sporting and brand ambassador, I'm thinking like to the role plays and performing in front of groups that I've done in terms of like presentation skills training in my like lame office job. I did one, uh, you know, a number of years ago where we had to present in front of the group and then spend the next 15 minutes being mercilessly critiqued about every stutter and misstep, brutal and excruciating, but fun for everyone else. And it probably did help. Is that the kind of activity that you might employ? Look, it could get to that stage, yeah, I guess. We talk about how you give feedback in sessions as well and so that might be giving two pieces of positive feedback and then one thing that something someone can work on or someone might like to work on so that we're, you know, balancing that out as a group and getting that constructive feedback but also recognising the things that we're good at too. And we do some stuff based on mindset. And I do, one of the exercises we do, I call it speed date your mate. And I get the athletes, the players to pair up and find out something new about someone that they already know pretty well, right? Mm -hmm. Spend quite a bit of time with. And then they have to bring that back and tell the group about their mate. So it gives them the experience of asking the questions, which I think is really important as well. If Mm. you understand maybe how difficult it is sometimes to ask a really good question or the importance of listening to an answer and then incorporating that into your follow-up question, Mm -hmm. having those insights into how the journalist might work Mm. is really beneficial for the the athletes as well. But it also shows them when they come back and they share these new things that they've learned about their, their mate 
it shows them how important mindset is. Mm-hmm. Because if you go into something thinking, this is going to be shit, journos are out to get me, ultimately that experience is not going to be positive for anyone, yeah. right? No yeah. one wins there. The player doesn't win, the club, the game, the broadcaster. It's rubbish for everyone. Mm. So we need to kind of flip that attitude and flip that mindset as a starting point. And so especially with some young players as opposed to kind of leadership groups who we do something very different. But for young players, doing something like Speed Date You Made and then bringing it back and sharing that and then having that kind of reflection afterwards about why was that fun? Why did that work so well? And how much of that has to do with attitude can be a a fun kind of icebreaker starting point. Okay, yeah. So it sounds like there's working on the empathy to sort of put yourself in the the questioner's shoes on how hard it is sometimes to ask a question, as you said. And it kind of brings me back to what I was saying earlier about how hard it is to communicate with. We don't really think about it much, but even when I think about putting together questions for a chat like this, I spend quite a bit of time trying to work out what it is I want to ask. And sometimes I'll spend ages and I'll finish up with a set of questions and I'm like, it's not really, I still haven't quite got to the crux of what I'm trying to say. So yeah, it's good that you're uh, sort of engaging in, on that level as well. Now, that time spent is so important, yeah. isn't it, Jono? And that, like, I've talked to the players about that as well. And, you know, in your life, if you're going to have an important conversation with someone and, and there's a point that you want to get across, mm. you think about it beforehand, right? You think about how you're going to frame that and mm. what your, you know, key destination is, what that, what that point you really want to hit is and why that's important to you. Mm. And so equally, if you're going to head into any kind of press call or all-in press conference scenario, Mm. you think in advance about the kind of things that you might be asked and the kind of things you want to talk about and what you feel passionate about and what your values are and Mm. what your stance would be on that big issue that's making news right across Aussie sport right now. And just as you're driving into training that day, you have those thoughts and maybe you have a conversation with someone who who you trust Mm. so that you can flesh out some of those thoughts into a more articulate kind of conversation and that is the way to ultimately a better more fulfilling conversation for everyone rather than heading into that chat without having turned your mind to any of those things before and then somehow expecting to have an epiphany while surrounded by a dozen journos and five cameras you know it's (laughs) a a hard environment to have an epiphany in that's right get get your mind off crypto and nfts and you know delve inside (laughs) yourself that's that's good advice uh neve i reckon i've met two or three NRL players in my life, which I feel is lower than average. But anyway, one one thing I remember from those experiences is how these players really dialed in on the eye contact. And I'm probably not great at eye contact myself. My eyes flick around a bit, uh, so I really notice it. Now, these were typical boring dime a dozen conversations we were having, you know, the usual fan and player chit-chat. But their eye contact was such that I felt like buying a dishwasher from them at the end of our conversation. Is eye contact something that is taught? It is. It is. Yeah, it is. We talk about the importance in a session of making eye contact and and the different ways that you can. So these days, poor old players are often having conversations straight down the barrel of a camera with someone they can't see. And so the camera then becomes that point at which you're making the eye contact, Mm. right? So we do definitely have those conversations and that's another skill, right, in communication that you can take into all of those other areas of your life. 
But it's funny you mention that, Jono, because one session I remember really clearly, and it was from that original year with the NRL, which mm. was a few years ago now, and we do all of this build-up stuff and lots of different activities, and then I look for a volunteer, and I guess this is a little bit similar to what you said you did in a, a public speaking course in the past that yeah. you found, you know, mortifying, <laughs> and I asked for a volunteer to come up and answer the questions from the group. And, you know, we've got a scenario situation that we're exploring and come up in front of the camera and do it. And I'd been around, I reckon, 10 clubs by this stage. And I was at the Melbourne Storm and I got to that part of the session and I said to the boys in this case, it was the Melbourne Storm men's team, and I said, right, you know, gents, I want to volunteer. This is the task. And I pause and I look around the room and eyeball them all. And at every other club I had been to, at this point in the session, the guys look at the floor, look at their feet, look at the roof, look anywhere but at me in the hope that I won't pinpoint them as the poor bastard who has to come up and and take on this activity first. I'm one of them. Yes. And at the Melbourne Storm, every single player in that room maintained eye contact. That's freaky. And it was incredible. And I stopped and I was like, this is new. Guys, was that a this, bit disconcerting? This hasn't happened before. <laughs> yeah. And I shared that, you know, that that wasn't the usual response. Yeah. And they shared that one thing that they talk about at the storm and that, you know, Craig Bellamy has, has drilled into them over the years is that you look a challenge in the eye. Mm. You know, you, you take that challenge head on. And that's exactly what they were doing. And it was one of those moments that I was like, God, it's no wonder you guys win so many premierships, right? Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, well, this kind of thing, I guess, brings me, it sort of brings to mind the way that communication is evolving. And I'm thinking to the the Brandon Smith issue of a couple of weeks ago when he appeared in a podcast being totally himself, I guess, and seemingly being very open and honest about how he went about securing his future. And he clearly wasn't bothering with the, the polish that you might entertain in a more official setting. So there's clearly some kind of trend at play here, relating, of course, to a shifting media landscape with the advent of podcasts, DIY media, the medium is the message and all that sort of thing. But I wonder also if it's a part of a communications trend, which which brings me to a little anecdote, I guess, that might help illustrate what I'm trying to say here, Neve. So, Neve, I want to take you back 10 or so years when I started getting curious about media and communication training for rugby league players, but all sports people, I guess. It was a cold Friday night in, I want to say, August, and I'm here watching the footy alone in the robe my mum bought me. It was actually a ladies' robe, but it was on special and I cut off the lacy bit so it looked okay and anyway, it was really warm. So, I'm here. The game is finished. I can't remember who was playing, but I remember eating a sneaky pack of cheese and bacon balls around full time. I remember that because when I heard a player start his answer to a post-match interview question with the word certainly, I remember choking a little bit on the cheesy dust. Who uses the word certainly, I thought. And, And soon I was listening carefully and started hearing certainly a fair bit from players. But now I don't hear certainly from the playing cohort as much, if at all. And it has been replaced by quote unquote authenticity. You mentioned that at the top. You know, the personality trait trademarks that players have, a sign-off here, a handshake or a dance move there. Is this a, a, a – obviously, it's not a figment of my imagination, but is it a trend in the way sports people and, and rugby league players in particular are communicating away from the, the corporate speak of your certainties and towards, I guess, uh, self-expression? 
towards me. Yeah, mate, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I think it is and I hope it is, Jono, because mm-hmm. one of the key reasons we started Media Goals, and that's not to... Um, That's not to link us directly to the change, but I guess it's to go back to your anecdote. One of the key reasons we started Media Goals was because Scott Rollinson, who was my original partner in Media Goals, and I both worked at the ABC. We were sports broadcasters, Mm. and we'd hear these awesome stories from players off camera or off mic. And then once the camera was rolling and the mic was on, you'd get these generic kind of cliche-based answers. And we just thought, what a bloody shame, right? Like these people have such awesome stories to tell that are so engaging and, you know, would be so interesting for someone sitting on the couch eating their cheesels to hear. (laughs) And they're missing out. And so I think that move towards authenticity and maybe authenticity is now becoming a bit of a buzzword, but hopefully that move towards speaking as we would in everyday life and having real conversations, Mm. hopefully we're seeing more of that now on mic and on camera than in the past when it was a bit more staged, managed and robotic and not as real. Mm, Yeah. And it's good for business, I guess, because you're engaging people, people are getting to know the person, and that can only be good. So, Neve, how has media and communications training evolved over the years to reflect this trend away from polish and towards authenticity? And, you know, that word is, is a bit gross these days, but we are in an age where the players now entering the pro ranks are social media creatures. They, they live and breathe it. They're used to filming themselves. They're friends Uh, So presumably a camera in their face is not as daunting as it once was for previous generations. So how have methods evolved to account for this? I think you're right, Jono, that young people are much more used to, you know, recording their own voice or recording a selfie and Mm. chucking it on Instagram and that kind of thing. I'd say that really formal official kind of camera in your face environment though is still pretty daunting for them and still pretty different Mm -hmm. and you mentioned brandon smith a moment ago i don't think he would have shared his his story and his experiences in the same way if he'd been in a television studio Mm. with all the lights and cameras and fox sports paraphernalia all around him i don't think he would have felt as relaxed and open to sharing the same amount Mm. as he did in that podcast. And I'm not saying that I'm not criticising him in any way for what he shared in that podcast. And I think for Brandon himself, it would be so interesting to hear his reflections on what he's learnt through that experience. But certainly what I hope hasn't happened is I hope that we'll continue to see Brandon you know, be real and share his personality because Mm. it's a bloody great personality and we've seen it emerge over the last couple of years and we've seen him play great footy as well. Mm. And I feel like I'm going way away from your question now, but to use him as an example, a few years ago in the past, he's not a player we would have seen the Melbourne Storm necessarily put up for any media calls. Mm. They had their three or four 
five or six back in the day, but three or four big names who they could rely on to front up to a media call, never say anything untoward, um, you know, stay on script, repeat the key messages, and it was all really safe. Mm. And I think it is an awesome thing for our game now that we get people like Brandon stepping up, shooting from the hip, Mm. saying what they think, And I think that is such a positive thing for the game because ultimately one of the things that Rugby League has going for it, and it's got heaps going for it, but one of the big things in terms of our players is that they come from so many different backgrounds and Mm. cultures. And one of the things that I think is something our game should be super proud of is the diversity of people who play it. So we've got so many guys and girls from different backgrounds with different lived experiences who come from different countries. And I think that that's something that we should really embrace. And I think all sports and codes should embrace it, embrace that diversity and difference because ultimately in the broader community, right, that same diversity exists. So Brandon Smith, who we're talking about, he will have a similar lived experience to a Storm fan that someone like Cameron Smith, on the other hand, won't. And so they'll connect with different parts of the Storm's audience, fan base, community. And that is awesome, right? We Mm. don't only want to hear from one part of that puzzle. We want to hear from all of it. And I think that's a real positive for any sport and something that NRL in particular should be really proud of. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm kind of thinking just on the point of, you know, the new generation's social media creatures and how that may evolve your business in the future. You know, as we're kind of alluding to for kids, modern life is is a form of media training, although it's not the same as having five cameras and five journalists in your face. But from being a baby, they're performing to camera pretty much every single day. In some cases, for the family WhatsApp group in, in school, they're creating videos for school assignments. It's a very different world to what most of our listeners would have grown up with. And I know as a kid, as I kind of alluded to, I just didn't do eye contact. I'm still not great at it, as I mentioned. My my little cousins, they stare me down. They win the battle at the eye contact ruck every single time. So I guess I wonder in future if the training becomes less about presentation skills and being comfortable in front of a camera, but instead it becomes about how to navigate this crazy pro sports world that these people find themselves in, you know, less worrying about the quality of your output. That's kind of looked after by the the training of the modern world. It could be worrying about dealing with the quantity of communication in the modern world that's coming from all angles and what to sort of ignore, what to embrace and things like that. Yeah, and I think it's conversations clubs are already having with players as well because we all have access to players, other people, in a way that we never had in the past, right? Mm -hmm. Like you couldn't search for someone on Instagram and all of a sudden send them a DM whether you've (laughs) ever met them or had anything to do with their circle before and we can do all of that now. And so I think definitely learning how to negotiate that space is super important for all young people, not just athletes but I think for athletes coming to terms with the fact that you know a joke that they make with their mates online Mm. can ultimately end up on the back page of a newspaper yeah that's really important for them to understand that Mm. that social media world that they're engaging in is an awesome space in heaps of ways where they can connect directly with fans they can show more of themselves they can share what matters to them off the field and they can control that conversation in a lot of ways yeah 
but it's also an area where they can be quoted and that, you know, ultimately communicating in a way that still, you know, that isn't contrary to their broader values Mm. is still really important even in that space. So it's broader as well, I guess, than, you know, what you're just posting yourself. Mm. And we saw that, for example, after Israel Folau's post a few years ago, Mm. other wallabies who liked that post that, got Israel in so much trouble at the time. Mm. Other wallabies who just liked that post were also dragged into the saga that followed. So for players and for athletes to understand that people will critique and people will look at more than just the words and the pictures that they themselves post. And so when you're entering that space to be aware that you know, ultimately something you put up there, your grandma could be reading in the newspaper tomorrow and that's kind of just how the modern world works. You know, once you're aware of that and you come to terms with that, well, then you can go out there and and make the most of that space, not be fearful of it, but just conscious of it. Yes, good point. It's fascinating stuff, really is. I find it very fascinating. Now, Neve, let's talk about Neve Owens and feel free to answer in the third person if you prefer. You've been a a broadcaster. (laughs) Can you please, have you got like a drop button that you can hit if I speak about myself in the third person? Even once, you can just be like, damn, out. I sometimes speak as John O.P. Duncan. You know, it's it's a bit of fun. Um, Now, you've been a, a broadcaster of some repute for years now. How do you reflect on your own presentation style and how it's changed over the years. So I guess there's two parts here. How have you improved your presentation craft as you have become more experienced? And two, how have social and industry trends influenced any change in how you operate, if, if at all? You know, I reckon I've gotten a lot better at practicing what I preach now. So I think I'm much better these days at having the confidence to be myself on air. So, you know, making a stupid joke, having a laugh, not taking myself too seriously. Mm. And I think that definitely comes with time. And I'm, I'm being careful there to say time and not age. Sure. <laughs> now that I'm old, I'm much more relaxed. <laughs> but I think it, it comes with practice as well. And that we talked about that before, Jono, about public speaking, you know, is a skill. And we get better at it every time we do it. And I think certainly for me personally, mm. Over time, I've definitely developed that confidence to share a little bit more of myself. And there's like a vulnerability in that as well. And, you know, we talk, I talk to players about it. In some ways, I think that what they do is, you know, that what we do when we're, when we're on air and we're having those conversations is harder in some ways than being an actor and playing a role in a film mm. because you can not like that actor, that, real, that person mm. in the film or the stage play, but it's that character that you're not liking. Whereas for an athlete who's sharing a bit more of themselves in that public space, if people are then coming through and we can be so judgmental and if we're then coming through with those judgments, we're, we're judging them as a person and that's so much harder mm. to take, which I guess comes back to what you were saying before about understanding those spaces and when to disconnect but certainly I think for myself I've hopefully gotten better at embracing you know a bit more of that authenticity and I think the industry has gotten better at it as well and we see less like rigid styles of presentation these days there's not Mm. as many old white blokes in suits anymore so we want to see you know more of that 
personality and we want to connect with people who are real on yeah. our screens. Yeah. It's interesting you, you mentioned with time you've you've sort of been able to take yourself less seriously on FME. It's um, as I go bald, I take myself less seriously. But anyway, that's just me. Now, can I just on a, a side note there, Neve, and it's kind of it's related, but it's slightly off topic. As a presenter, what about the art of talking to camera versus your co-presenter? Uh, is it about finding that balance between trying to engage the audience without ignoring your mate next to you? Because when when presenters linger too long on the camera. It becomes a little disconcerting. I guess um, that comes back to my sensitivity with, with eye contact. Uh, I assume people want their presenters to talk to them directly, thus the, the trend of eyes to camera, even when you're in a conversation. Uh, I'd personally pr- just prefer to witness the conversation as a third party. I don't want to be involved. You know, talk to each other and I'll listen. I don't, I don't need to be involved. But is that on the mind of a presenter? Is that something that, uh, you know, your producers are, are talking about, that finding that balance, you know, getting the the audience in with a bit of eye contact but remaining present with your your partner it seems like a a real skill i think it's super important and as you say it can be hard to to get the balance right and the balance the right balance might be different for different people right Mm. for you Mm. jono watching at home you're like stop looking at me (laughs) stop staring at me damn it talk to your mate on the couch there whereas for someone else at home that that balance might be a very different one yeah i guess the attitude that i take into it is that, you know, there are three people in the conversation. And so the the primary people in the conversation are, you know, me and whoever I'm interviewing, whoever's there on the couch. Mm-hmm. But then there's this third person that we want to include in the conversation as well, that we want to feel that they're, that they're part of the conversation. So I think about that other camera that's the wide shot, if mm-hmm. you like, that, mm-hmm. that's, you know, getting us both as, as the third party in the conversation. Okay. And so... If I'm talking to you, Jono, mm. well, then if we're standing in a group and I, I'm talking to you and the questions I have at the moment are for you, the majority of the time I'm going to be looking at you, yeah. right? Because that's that's who's engaged in the conversation right now. But I'm not going to leave old mate over here out of the conversation completely because sure. that would be rude. So I'm going to look at old mate every now and then and make <laughs> sure they feel like they're a part of this conversation while making more of my eye contact with you. So I think if you can kind of think of that camera as yep. old the mate. third person yeah. in the combo, then it can help you hopefully get that balance right. Ah, very good. Very interesting. Thanks for sharing that insight. And Neve, I guess uh, over the last decade or so, We've seen a flourishing of female sports broadcasters and and not only in presenting roles. How how do you reflect on the current place of women in sports broadcasting and analysis? You know, which sports are leading the way in your opinion? I think you're right. I think we've come a long way in a decade or so. As you say, when I was growing up, it's like Simone Thurtell was, Mm. you know, a hero of mine and Stephanie Brantz and I used to watch watched them, Tracy Holmes and Debbie Spillane, Mm. but you could kind of name all of them. You could name every female that you were hearing in that sports broadcasting space because there weren't that many of them. Mm. Whereas these days, it'd take me a hell of a lot longer to name all of the females that we see across our screens and, and radio stations in sports broadcasting. And that is such an awesome thing. And I think part of that is that there's not just you know, one token female involved in broadcast teams anymore. There's room for a whole heap more, Mm. which is a real development over the last decade or so. I think in that expert commentary role 
and maybe more specifically in terms of calling games, mm. we still don't hear that many female voices. Like, thank God for Kelly Underwood because we mm. don't see, hear that many female voices actually calling the action. Yeah. So maybe that's the next bastion, you know, the next thing for, yeah. for female broadcasters to take on and, and turn their hand to. But definitely I think, you know, we've, come a long way and that's awesome because we're a diverse population we need to see that represented on our screens in our broadcast in terms of the sexes yeah mm. but also in terms of culture in terms of sexuality in terms of age we want to see that diversity mm. that we see in our own families and in our own communities we want to see that represented on the screen as well yes absolutely and for international listeners Kelly Underwood is an AFL commentator. She commentates the men's and women's competition, I believe. And I guess also I'm, I'm thinking cricket do it very well as well. Like I'm thinking Mel Jones, among others, many others who are kind of the lead commentators in the play-by-play. So for me, that they're probably the, the sports that are leading football, soccer football as well, perhaps. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think in the cricket space in the last maybe four or five years, maybe even you know, post the development of Big Bash in Australia, Mm. that's given more people an opportunity to show what they can do. So we don't just have that one core commentary group that we hear from all summer. I think you're absolutely right. Cricket has been incredible and there are some amazing female voices across across the cricket sphere. Yeah. You mentioned football too and one of the cool things, and I'm a little bit biased I guess on, on this, but mm. one of the cool things that football has done this season, the APL that, you know, runs the A-Leagues now has mm. rebranded in Australia and they've rebranded as the A-Leagues. Mm. And that's a really important step forward. So there's no longer the W-League mm. and the A-League. So like the A-League is the main game and then there's the W-League if you want to tune into that. That's yeah. not a thing anymore. There's the A-League men's and there's the A-League women's. Mm-hmm. And it can feel like a, a small change, I guess, in some ways, but words matter. And that's actually you know, a world-leading kind of change that football in Australia has made and I think something the game can be super proud of. And Network 10 and Paramount Plus, as the the new broadcast partners, have put together one broadcast team and that one broadcast team works across the A-Leagues. Yeah, right. So you'll see Georgia Yeoman Dale analysing the men's game. You'll see Mark Milligan, former Socceroos captain, analysing the women's game. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really strong move because it's a move away from having one of your competitions as a subsidiary, you know, and it's embracing them as a whole. And I think that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I I agree. And I guess it, it took me a while to grapple with the idea of the the naming change for competitions but i yeah i'm on board with what the football has done now it makes total sense to me and i kind of wonder why it took me a while to to sort of get on board but uh anyways i I think that's really positive and i guess from a rugby league perspective just to bring it back to rugby league to be fair on you know channel nine for instance if they do the women's state of origin they get the full commentary team there you know gus gould and andrew johns and rian sims are are kind of uh, commentating on, on those games as they are on the, the normal NRL as well. So, you know, credit where it's due, I guess, on that front. And yeah, then, definitely. Yeah. And I think for rugby league, like 22 will be such a big year, Jono, for women's rugby league in Australia, certainly. Yeah. I've got a, a little girl, she's five, and she is obsessed with rugby league. Wow, cool. Obsessed. She has a footy card collection that would be the envy of anybody. Okay. But she's also like... 
Mama, why do only men play rugby league? And coming out of it 2021, a year where our female rugby league players, for a variety of reasons, didn't get those opportunities to, to show what they can do, that question from a kid is, you know, justifiable. And mm. there's only male players in her footy card collection and she's got hundreds right. of things. So hopefully by the end of 2022... Hopefully she's not asking me that question anymore, you know. Hopefully we've seen women's footy take that next step and get centre stage for the World Cup and for two NRLW competitions and, you know, we kind of see it make that progression as well. Yeah, huge year coming up for rugby league on the women's side of things. And from your anecdote there with your daughter, a couple of things. A, they really should do female rugby league player footy cards if they don't already. And B, does she want to play swaps? Because I've got you know a decade of rugby league cards from the nineties that you know are, are ripe for a bit of swapsy. Wouldn't mind a bit of modern. Oh, Jono, she would be so keen. She's got okay. so many of a few players, and she gets really annoyed now at, um, at players leaving clubs, like moving. And I'm like, babes, that's actually great. You know, you've got that footy card of him the last time he played for, you know, whatever team yeah. it was. And she's like, oh, it's worthless now. I need him in his new jersey, you know. <laughs> so there's a few of those players, Jono, who have shifted this off season that she'll be very happy to swap to very give away. Good. Very good. Neve, uh, one more question, if I may. We're sort of running out of time, and I appreciate you taking the time very much so. You've dipped into many different sports in your career. Now, as a, a female broadcaster, is there a difference between the sports? And I guess I'm talking about the male sports for this question. Is there a difference in terms of how comfortable you feel in performing your duties? Or has the professional era largely eliminated any differences there have been across the codes, if in fact there have been any differences in the past? Yeah, do you know, I think it's a boring answer, but no, I think no difference. Okay. In fact, in some ways I probably feel feel or have felt at different times more comfortable covering men's sport because that's where all my experience was and it's where all of the background information was the broadcast history so it was so much easier to find information and to prepare for a gig whereas I feel like that's really changing now and some of our biggest you know some of our most well-known athletes in Australia are women but from a broadcaster's perspective no I've I've always found the blokes I've dealt with on the field post-game in rugby league, super respectful, answer my questions, make time for a good conversation, are genuine in their responses. Sometimes I think female athletes can be more willing to share more Mm -hmm. and maybe that's because they haven't had that old school media training from way back drilled into them quite as much. Maybe it's because they've got broader life experiences because they still have full-time jobs than most of them while they're playing professional sport as well. Mm. But from a broadcaster's perspective, no, no difference. Love, love it all. Love them both. Cool. Fascinating. And uh, good to hear, I guess. Uh, Well, Neve. I feel like we could talk for hours on these topics. It's really interesting stuff, but unfortunately, we are out of time. Thank you so much for joining us. I found it really insightful. So, Neve Owens, all the best, and thank you for joining the Progressive Rugby League podcast. Jono, thank you so much for the invite. Have an awesome Christmas and a really lovely summer.
Progressive Rugby League. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Neve Owens really enjoyed that. There are lessons in every piece of communication if you look hard enough. All right. Thanks, folks. Until we next meet somewhere at the sandwich table of a self-improvement training seminar, let me say Rugby League hobby, and see ya. 